Try that one. Chutzpah. Chutzpah. This is a, a Yiddish word, which is a, a word that comes out of the Jewish vocabulary. So it has its roots in Hebrew, but Yiddish is a combination of Hebrew and German. It's not a word that's in the Bible, but chutzpah means you got a lot of nerve. Chutzpah means you have supreme self-confidence. An example would be, it took a lot of chutzpah to talk to your manager like that. Or an example would be, it took a lot of chutzpah to stand up to that bully. Y you understand what it's getting at? It's this supreme self-confidence, like, I I'm going to march up there, and I I've got confidence for this. I, I have a picture to share with you of a little boy in our church named Toviel on his first day of kindergarten. This is Toviel getting ready to get on the bus to his first day of kindergarten. And I just want to say that Toviel has chutzpah because he is dressed as a superhero wearing his cape and mask. So don't you wish you could go to kindergarten in your superhero cape as well? Toviel has supreme self-confidence that... He's going to go conquer kindergarten. Today's passage is about children and youth and the ways that God uses teenagers and youth in, in Scripture and in the world today. Uh, before we go on, I'd just like to acknowledge some of our youth who are serving in regular ways today. Besides our regular slew of teenagers that we have who help in our children's ministry in Kid City, we also have Luke Wachira, who's running sound today. He's one of our teens in our youth group. So, Luke, thank you. He's part of the regular youth group team. And we also have Sunday Grace, who is helping serve. I think she's in Kid City right now, but she regularly helps serve refreshments on Sunday mornings. And so without her, you wouldn't have snacks. So uh, just thankful for the many ways that youth serve in our church. But today, we're going to be talking about a passage as we continue our series in Acts. And it's about how the bad guys had a murder plan to ambush and kill the Apostle Paul. And how the Romans sent 472 soldiers and officials to protect Paul. And how one teenager with some chutzpah saved the day. All right? So last Sunday we left Paul in jail. For those of you who were here last week, it was the Antonia Fortress. It was that jail area that was a part of the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. And he, Paul got to that point of being in jail because he had been preaching and then a mob erupted because the Jews were so angry that Paul was saying, I'm a Jew and I believe in Jesus too. And they're like, no, you don't because we're good Jews and we don't believe in Jesus. We only believe in God. We don't believe in Je Jesus is not who you say he was. So the Jews were stirred up to the point of killing. We, it was a very violent passage of scripture the last few weeks that we've been looking at this. And there is a group of Jews that are dead set on killing Paul. They're like, Paul can't be, he ha that we have to get rid of him. And so Claudius Lysias is actually the name of the commander that we talked about last week. He was the one who said, hey, Paul, you're going to be safest if you go to prison. So I'm going to arrest you, and we're going to put you in prison, and you're going to be safe there. And Claudius Lysias is kind of a, he's kind of a, um, you know, he's not a total black and white character. He's kind of a gray character, because at one point he was going to flog Paul, but then he finds out Paul's a Roman citizen, and then he doesn't. But ultimately, Claudius Lysias has a unique role in preserving Paul's life. Paul probably wouldn't have been alive at this point if Claudius Lysias hadn't stepped in. And so Claudius Lysias doesn't really know what to do with Paul. He doesn't really understand why the Jews hate Paul so much for believing in someone by the name of Jesus. 
And so that's where we pick up the passage today. And since the hero of our story today is God working through a teenager, I thought that it would be fun to, sell a, to ask some of our youth in our church to participate in certain ways in the service. And several of our younger youth have illustrated the passage for us today. So you'll see some of their artwork come through as we work through the passage. So last week we began, we ended with Paul in jail and the Lord coming to him and saying, you suffered well, you're going to do it again for me and, and keep on keeping on. So Acts chapter 23, verse 12. The next morning, the Jews formed a conspiracy and bound themselves with an oath not to eat or drink until they had killed Paul. More than 40 men were involved in this plot. They went to the chief priests and elders and said, we've taken a solemn oath not to eat anything until we have killed Paul. Now then, you and the Sanhedrin petition the commander to bring him before you on the pretext of wanting more accurate information about his case. We are ready to kill him before he gets here. All right, so do you catch what's going on? There are uh, more than 40 Jews. Our first picture to share with you is a picture written... Um, made by Pearl, age 11. And Pearl has drawn a picture of the conspiracy to kill Paul. And if you see this rectangle here, it looks like a table, and there are 20 people sitting on one side of the table and exactly 20 people sitting on the other side of the table. So there are exactly 40 people represented here to represent these 40 Jews. And in the middle is a map. And this map is their conspiracy plan of we're going to lie in ambush and when, between, when Paul is between the Antonio Fortress and between the Sanhedrin, we're going to get him right here and we're going to jump and we're going to kill him. We're going we're to jump him then. And so uh, here's the conspiracy to kill Paul. Pearl, thank you for helping us to see this. These Jews are committed. They are passionate they are not just saying, you know, it'd be better if you were dead. They're saying, we're not going to eat until Paul is no more. The plan is that they're going to request that Claudius Lysias bring Paul before them for questioning, just like they did the other day. It wouldn't be anything unusual for them to request that, so Claudius Lysias wouldn't, wouldn't suspect anything. Uh, but then before he can get there, they're going to kill him. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> so they make their plan. It's simple. It's foolproof. But here's what they didn't know. Either someone was a mole or someone else was listening in. Because this is what happens next. Verse 16. But when the son of Paul's sister heard of this plot, he went into the barracks and told Paul. So, newsflash. Paul has a sister. Who knew? We don't hear about her anywhere else in the Bible. The Apostle Paul has a sister. And the Apostle Paul also has a nephew. And this Bible scholars think that he is a teenager because of some of the things going on in this passage. And so we have this picture of Paul's nephew listening. Now, this is our second picture. This was done by Joshua Olexa, age 13. And if you count the people, there are once again 40 people who are 40 little stick figures. And there's a little word bubble up there that says, let's kill him. Okay? So we've got this figured out, right? And then that person listening at the bottom is the nephew. 
Now, Joshua says, art is not my best subject. But I would just say that he got the point. He got the 40 people, he got the, well, the plan of what they're going to do, and he got the nephew who's listening. So somehow the nephew finds out about this conspiracy against his uncle Paul. Now, Uncle Paul is famous, among the Jews in Jerusalem at least. Or maybe he's infamous, depending on who you are. But a lot of people know in Jerusalem who his Uncle Paul is. And he, everybody knew that Uncle Paul had been a Pharisee, but then had become a believer in Jesus and was now a Jewish Christian. And everybody knew that Paul was traveling the world telling other people about Jesus, hoping that other people will believe in Jesus as well. So everybody knows that his Uncle Paul is kind of a big deal. And somehow, we don't know how, this nephew finds out that there's this conspiracy. The Bible doesn't tell us how he found out. I kind of wonder if maybe his best friend was the son of one of the 40 Jews. And you know how, like, friends tell each other stuff. I don't know. Maybe, maybe that was it. Maybe there was some reason why the nephew was inside the place, or inside the building where they were making this plot, and maybe he just happened to overhear from another room, or he was hiding under the table, or who knows? Maybe he heard somebody whisper about it in an alleyway. We don't know how he found out, but in some way, he found out about the conspiracy, and he decides he's going to do something about it. So he goes to the barracks, and he tells Paul, our next picture is done by Anastasia Alexa, age six. And this is a very colorful jail. Paul is in jail. You can say, see that J-A-I-L. And next to him is the nephew who is holding food. There is a green pear and there is a yellow fish. Now, I don't know if Anastasia knew this or not, but it's very, back then, prisoners were only fed by family members. They didn't have a prison program who was feeding the prisoners. So if you wanted to eat, you hoped you had friends who were going to bring you food. So it's very possible that the nephew brought food in as kind of like a, a, a fake way to have a reason to go in. But anyway, you can see the nephew there, and do you see his big, wide-open mouth? He is very animatedly communicating, Paul! You can see it, right? Paul, they're going to kill you. This is what I heard. You can just see the energy in this picture. I, I love it. This is moment of drama. You see, this, this teenager, he knew where his loyalties were. He knew who needed to know and who he needed to tell. And he had the courage to enter the barracks. I mean, that couldn't have been a particularly inviting place to go into. And he's willing to share news that isn't so great. This teenager had chutzpah. The passage continues, 23 verse 17. Then Paul called one of the centurions. He says, come on over here. Come over to my cell. Then Paul called one of the centurions and said, take this young man to the commander. He has something to tell him. So he took him to the commander. The centurion said, Paul the prisoner sent for me and asked me to bring this young man to you because he has something to tell you. The commander took the young man by the hand, some translations say by the arm, drew him aside, and said, and asked, what is it you want to tell me? So nephew goes to Paul. Paul goes to Centurion. Centurion goes to the commander Claudius Lysias. Claudius Lysias goes to the nephew. Okay? We got some chutzpah. 
going on here. Verse 20. The nephew, he said, The Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul before the Sanhedrin tomorrow on the pretext of wanting more accurate information about him. Don't give in to them, because more than 40 of them are waiting in ambush for him. They have taken an oath not to eat or drink until they have killed him. They are ready now, waiting for your consent to their request. Do you notice how carefully this teenager repeats the information and all of the relevant details? And he says, don't give in to them. He says, it's serious. They've taken an oath. It's a big deal. And he gives quiet, accurate information, and he talks to the person who can actually make a difference. He doesn't post it on social media first. Hey, I heard this. I, I can't say what it is, but I heard some news, and I've just got big things going on. He doesn't do that. He doesn't gossip about it. He, it. he doesn't even appear to tell his friends. He just goes straight to Uncle Paul, and then Uncle Paul steers him in the right direction. You might not always know what your next steps are supposed to be, but if you can get that first step right, then someone who's listening to God can steer you in the right direction. Verse 22. The commander dismissed the young man and cautioned him, don't tell anyone that you have reported this to me. And here, Claudius Lysias begins his covert counteroffensive. He quickly and quietly makes a plan. He's like, okay, we're going to save Paul's life. And this is what he comes up with. This is his plan, verse 23. Then he called two of his centurions and ordered them, get ready a detachment of 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, and 200 spearmen to go to Caesarea at nine tonight. Provide mounts for Paul so that he may be taken safely to Governor Felix. So each of the centurions oversee 100 men. So he calls two centurions, and he says, you take your 100 men, you take your 100 men. We also want 70 horsemen, and we want 200 spearmen. That's going to be a total of 472 people plus this Paul character. And you're all going to travel by night, 9 p.m. tonight when it's dark, when most of the people are off the streets, when people aren't going to be paying as much attention to what we're doing. And you're going to quietly transport him. And, and I want you to provide a mount for Paul, so put him on a horse because it, we're going to be traveling 40 miles and our soldiers have, are used to doing that, but Paul isn't, and Paul actually just got like beaten recently, so he, he should ride a horse. And, um, and so they make all these plans. But then before they actually leave, Claudius Lysias does one more thing. He wants to let Governor Felix in Caesarea know who's coming and why. He can't just make a phone call, obviously, and tell him what's going to happen, so he writes a letter verse 25, he wrote a letter as follows. Claudius Lysias to his excellency, Governor Felix. Greetings. This man was seized by the Jews, and they were about to kill him, but I came with my troops and rescued him, for I had learned that he is a Roman citizen. I wanted to know why they were accusing him, so I brought him to their Sanhedrin. I found that the accusation had to do with questions about their law, but there was no charge against him that deserved death or imprisonment. When I was informed of a plot to be carried out against the man, I sent him to you at once. I also ordered his accusers to present to you their case against him. So here's his letter. Uh, the next picture is done by Jackson, age 12. And this is Claudius Lysias. Can't you tell this is Claudius Lysias? You see the six-pack. You see the muscles. And this is probably a very accurate picture. I mean, this man would have been, he would have been ripped. You know, he's a commander. He, he would have, he was strong. He would have done, known his stuff. So he 
He's got the commander hat. He's got the, the protection. And he says, I need to make a letter. The second picture that goes with this is the letter. You can see the scroll, the details on the scroll. And it reads, Claudius Lysias, to his excellency Felix, greetings. Paul is a Roman citizen and does not deserve death. Well done, Jackson. Well done. You've captured it. Very, very good. Once again, we have this interesting character of Claudius Lysias to the rescue once again. God keeps using him. Claudius isn't praying, saying, God, use me. God's just using him. It's pretty interesting how he's using him to move the story along. Here's what happens. Verse 31. So the soldiers, carrying out their orders, took Paul with them during the night and brought him as far as Antipatris. The next day, they let the cavalry go on with him while they returned to the barracks. When the cavalry arrived in Caesarea, they delivered the letter to the governor and handed Paul over to him. The governor read the letter and asked what province he was from. Learning that he was from Cilicia, he said, I will hear your case when your accusers get here. So they make it to Governor Felix, and here is a picture of them traveling. This is done by Malachi Cruz, age eight. It's amazing, isn't it? And we have this beautiful... Well, the horse is, the ho it's a horse that Paul is riding, and you can see the Roman guards, the soldiers, and you can see the weapons, and they would have been armed, and they would have co been covered with these things. They there's the spear of, of the spearmen that they talked about, and you, I like this one on the end where this, this guy's like, like this, like, I'm ready, bring it, I'm going to protect Paul, and then you've got Paul sitting on a horse, and you, you can see the marks on his legs, perhaps from being chained up, perhaps from some of the, the mobs and beatings that he's been part of. And here they are, Paul, in the midst of almost 500 people, traveling by night to deliver Paul from one prison to the next. Fascinating. And the passage for today concludes with this sentence, then he, we're talking about Governor Felix, then he ordered that Paul be kept under guard in Herod's palace. And we have here a picture done by Astrid, age eight, of Paul back in jail again. Again. How many jails has he been in now? And he doesn't have a smile on his face, which is probably appropriate. But Paul in jail again. Lots of people are in this story. But it was a teenager that tipped the balance. It was a teenager that made things shift in a completely different direction. And so I want to briefly share four lessons for teenagers and teenagers at heart. Four lessons for teenagers and teenagers at heart. Number one, being passionate about something doesn't mean you're right about it. Being passionate about something doesn't mean you're right about it. Do you remember those 40 Jews who formed the conspiracy? The 40 Jews, they made this plan. They, they made an oath. They were so passionate. They were so serious. They weren't going to eat. They weren't even going to drink. I mean, that's like next level serious. And they hated Paul. 
they hated Paul for reasons that they thought were righteous. They said, well, we are committed, we're committed to the Jewish, to the Jewish law. We're committed to the, and he's, he's out there. And, and they were rule followers, and they thought they were being the good guys. They were so committed. They were zealous. They were confident. They were sacrificial. They were sincere. They were convinced. They were hardworking. They were passionate. But the problem is that being passionate doesn't necessarily make you right. And I think this is a problem for many people wrestling with Christianity today. It is a thing in our culture where we say, you're going to find truth by, by just what feels right. If it feels right to you, that is truth. You'll hear people using the phrase, what is your truth? Truth is, doesn't work that way. Truth either is or is not. All truth belongs to God. All truth is God's truth. And so lots of times people will say, well, I, I passionately believe in this. But people's passion doesn't necessarily make them right. It's possible to be passionately wrong. And it's pretty common for us to talk today about, hey, you want to figure out what to do? Well, go with your gut. Follow your heart. Follow your bliss. The problem is the Bible tells us in Jeremiah 17.9 that the heart is deceitful above all things, and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Not that, I mean, God does give us discernment, and God uses that sometimes, but you also have to hold that intention with our hearts are deceitful. And the only way that we can consistently find rightness and righteousness and truth is if we let the word of God have authority in our lives. If the word of God is telling you to live a certain way and you're ignoring it, it is not time for you to get more passionate about explaining why you're right. It's not going to help you in the long run. And if what the word of God is saying to you is different than what you are passionate about, your passion just means you have a harder road to turn around on. Your passion just means you're going to have to give up more in order to get back in alignment with God. And the, the word of God has things to say to us about integrity, about identity, who we are, and what our purpose is, and why we're here. The word of God has things to tell us about how we use our money, how we use substances, how we use sex, how we use emotional relationships, how we use people, how we help people. The Bible has, the word of God has things to say about who we are and how we live. And it doesn't really matter if we passionately believe in something if it's contrary or not fully in alignment with the word of God. Now, if you feel like you're hearing the same sermon every week because I say that every week, good. We need to keep getting this and we need to keep leaning into this because it always comes down to alignment with God's word. We keep, our, our culture keeps challenging us to trust in our gut but God tells us to trust in Jesus. And there's a difference on where we put our trust. So just a caution, being passionate doesn't make you right. I'm not only speaking to teenagers here. I'm speaking to adults too. Because sometimes we've had more time to develop our passions and our opinions. And sometimes it's harder for us to get past those. But we have to make sure that our passions are in alignment with who God is and what his word says. The second lesson for teenagers and teenagers at heart is this. Number two, 
have courage to speak with influential people. I think that both young people and old people alike will often have a mentality of, well, there's not, they're not going to listen to me. Who am I? I'm not going to, they wouldn't listen to me. Why would, even, why would I even bother to speak up? The thing that I think is cool about people who are younger is they've got a little bit more chutzpah than some of the old people. They've got a little bit more absolute self-confidence that somebody's going to listen and somebody will take them seriously. And so often there's a little bit more willingness to take a risk and to stand up. You get old, you get jaded, and you quit trying after a while. And I think we need to learn from the young people of don't stop speaking up. This nephew, he's got courage. He's g he realizes his voice might matter. He believed, uh, Tovio, who wore his superhero cape, he believed that his voice in kindergarten mattered, and he was there to show it to everybody. He wasn't shy. He didn't hold back. I also found it interesting that this nephew had wisdom in the way that he did this. The nephew had, he had wisdom. He, he, he knew who to go to, and he knew who not to go to. Have you ever gone to someone for help only to discover they were the wrong person to ask for help and then it backfired on you? Yeah. Nephew could have done that. What if the nephew had courage but he didn't have wisdom? What if he had courage but he had courage with the wrong people? Some of us get really courageous with our group of friends and we say all this stuff, but we don't have the courage to talk to who we really need to talk to. What if Paul's nephew had courage with the wrong people? For example, uh, back to that scenario about, this is my imagination, this isn't the Bible, but the part about, say he had this best friend who was the son of one of the Jews. What if he had gone to that best friend and said, yeah, I, I heard about this, and I'm, I'm upset about this. This is my uncle. And then what if he had marched to that best friend's dad and said, I hear that you're going to ambush my uncle. That would not have gone well, right? But the nephew knows not to do that sort of thing. Instead, he goes to Paul, who is the right person to talk to, and then Paul gives him the direction that he needs to have. He had courage to speak up. He didn't hide behind the excuse of, I'm shy. He didn't hide behind the excuse of, well, they won't want to hear from me. I'm, I'm, just a, I'm just a teen. He didn't hide behind that. He said, I think I might have something to offer here, and I'm going to see if they'll listen. Don't stop having courage. Don't stop speaking up. Number three, lead the way even if you're the only one. There are a lot of people in this passage 472 plus. You've got the 472 who are traveling with Paul. You've got the other people uh, who are part of getting Paul in the barracks in the first place. There are a lot of people that are going on in this short little passage. The 40 Jewish bad guys that are in another part of the story. And somewhere in the middle of the 40 bad guys and the 472 Romans helping Paul, somewhere in the middle of all this is the nephew, this young man, this teenager, who stands all by himself. He didn't have an armed guard helping him. He didn't have a whole plan, a whole plot, a whole conspiracy plan all mapped out. He stood alone and he acted. We've got to learn to be mature enough to stand alone, to stand strong, to stand for Christ in front of your, your friends, adults, you too. 
to stand for Christ in front of your friends when it matters. To be able to speak up uh, as, I am a, I'm a believer in Jesus. To speak up and say, this isn't where God's going here. This isn't, it. This isn't God's word. We've got to stand for the right things and be willing to stand alone. And I think, teens, especially, you have such an interesting opportunity to do this at this time of life. And you've got chutzpah. And some of your friends have chutzpah to stand up for other things that aren't of God. But you've got it too. And you have an opportunity to stand up for God in a very unique way. And I just want to say to you, don't give up. And adults, you're not exempt from this either. Sometimes we think, oh, I've, I'm matured beyond this. We don't have all that same kind of drama. Yes, you do. You have more drama in your lives than teenagers do. You need to stand up, too. You need to take a stand. You need to say, this is not what Christians do. This is how Christians live. Let's move. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, the Apostle Paul says, don't look anyone... Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. Will you read that out loud with me? Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. Set an example. Which leads to point number four. Don't let your age be an excuse. Don't just say, I'm just a kid. Don't just say, I've got time. I can screw up my life now, and then there's still time for God to rescue me. Don't waste your time. We just did testimonies today, right? And this often happens in a, a test, whenever we do longer testimonies, when there's a little bit more time to lean into that. You'll often hear a story about a person who spent years walking away from God, years in rebellion against God, resisting God, and then their testimony is God chased them and came after them after this long journey. And then God is restoring them and doing a new thing. Uh, now, I'm going to be the first to say, yes, amen, don't stop those stories. And if you are in that, in that circle, awesome, let's celebrate that. And we'll never stop celebrating that. And I'll also say that if you get to that point and then you mess up and you have to start over again, keep starting over again. If you have to re I, we heard a um, comment today about, you know, I, I'm ashamed I'm back at Miltrotter again. Hey, the best thing you can do is go back. Just keep going back and just keep going and going until you get there, and you're going to get there at some time by God's grace. So I, I'm not putting any of that down, but I will tell you, for those of you who would say, I have a boring testimony, like I don't have this like big dramatic, like, and then I almost died. Like I don't have a story like that. I will tell you that the people who do have that kind of story will say, I wish I had your story. I wish I had your story. And so for those of you who have the opportunity right now to choose to walk with God and, th and not give up, you're going to have plenty of life happen to you anyway. You're, you're going to get a story at some point. But, <laughs> but as much as you can, ho hold on to that. Ho it's beautiful. And God is using that. Don't let your age be an excuse for following Jesus. The way that you live now matters. Children, youth, teenagers, young adults, the choices you are making today matter for the rest of your life. You're making little decisions every day that will affect what the rest of your life looks like. 
Proverbs 20, verse 11 says, even a child is known by his actions, by whether his conduct is pure and right. And that's the Bible's way of saying, God sees you. God, you, you think you're just a kid? You think that you're just a, kind of a nobody in the scheme of all the billion people of the world? And the Bible's saying, God, God knows you. God knows you. He knows you by your actions, and he knows, he knows who you are and who you're becoming. Don't wait to get serious about Jesus. Life's too short. And youth with lots of chutzpah, it doesn't feel short to you, but don't wait. You won't regret it. Teens in the Bible, let me just quickly run through some teens in the Bible, because there are lots of them. They're kind of running all over the pages of Scripture. People that you know. There's David, King David. Do you remember what he was as a teenager? He was a shepherd. He was a musician, an excellent musician, actually. He fought against Goliath as a teenager. He was eventually anointed king. Do you know how old he was when he was anointed to be the future king of Israel? The prophet Samuel came to him and he said, you're not going to be king yet, but I'm going to anoint you because it's, it's coming. Do you know how old he was when that happened? Fifteen. Fifteen. And do you know how old he was when he became king? Thirty. He had 15 years of a post-secondary education leading him to prepare for royalty, but do you remember what it was that God was looking for when he was looking for the next king of Israel? There was a phrase that describes what God was looking for. He was looking for a man after God's own heart. And David, at 15, was that man. Then there's Joseph. Joseph in the coat of many colors. The Bible tells us he was 17 years old. And when he was 17, the Lord started giving him incredible dreams, dreams given by God. He started speaking to him through dreams that changed his life. And around that same time, Joseph was sold into slavery by his own brothers. In incredibly painful on so many levels, we can't even unpack that today. He, he ended up going through lots of things. Hard things, good things. He, went, he, got, he was uh, human trafficked to Egypt and uh, found a new life there, and some, some things were great, some things were really terrible. He ends up in jail for a long period of time, not because of doing anything wrong. He ends up in jail because he did something right. And despite that, despite his trauma, despite his betrayal, despite all that he went through, despite his wrongful imprisonment as a youth, he stayed faithful to God through the difficulty. He did not Give up on God. Incredible. And then God used him in an incredible power way to be a deliverer for the people of Israel. It's an incredible story. Another teenager was Mary. Mary, the mother of Jesus. Do you know how old she was? The Bible scholars think when, when an angel came to her and said, Mary, you're going to give birth to the Son of God. The, the scholars say the, the, time, the age that women were engaged and would start the whole marriage process was around age 14. She was probably a teenager, most likely a teenager. Can you imagine a 14-year-old saying, you know, no one's ever had this happen before, but yeah, use me. God, God use me. Whatever you want from me, God, I'm yours. Remarkable. Because sometimes teenagers have chutzpah that older folks might not have. And then one final person, the prophet Jeremiah. 
Jeremiah is one big, huge, long book in the Old Testament that's really confusing and a little bit boring. It's a big part of the Old Testament. And Jeremiah was about between 13 and 16 years old, they think, when he was called to be a prophet of the Lord. And Jeremiah did not have a happy life. He was an unhappy prophet. In fact, he's known as the weeping prophet because he was always crying. He was always groaning and in anguish because he would receive these prophecies from the Lord and it was never good news. He had to tell the bad news all the time. And his job was to say, all right, Jerusalem, God says that unless you repent, there's destruction coming. Like there are consequences for what you're doing. And, and God had to have that communicated to the people and he chose Jeremiah to do it. In fact, the, the book of Lamentations is actually named after Jeremiah. It's dedicated to him. <laughs> he's, he's an incredibly important prophet. And God came to him as a teenager. And then Jeremiah's life was one that wasn't super fun. It wasn't super happy. But it was incredibly important to what the bigger picture of what God was doing. And Jeremiah could have quit, but he didn't. He stayed faithful. So I want to end today with a conversation between God and Jeremiah. When God first called Jeremiah, this is in Jeremiah chapter 1, and God says to him, Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 5 through 8, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Let me just pause here and say, youth, adults, before you were formed in the womb, God knew you. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Ah, oh, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I'm only a child. But the Lord said to me, do not say, I'm only a child. You must go to everyone I send you and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. God has a purpose for your life. Youth, God has a purpose for your life. You have been designed with, God, God's working on a big plan in the world and you have a part in it. You are not here on accident. You're not made on accident. God didn't give you a life so you could just waste it away and have it be uh, a meaningless pursuit of, of whatever. God's doing something big, and he has a place for you. And adults, some of you might think, I'm, I'm old and, and dried up, and I've done all my good stuff, and now I'm just going to kind of kick back, and God doesn't have anything else for me anymore. That couldn't be further from the truth. If you... <laughs> as we sang today, that cheesy line, if you're not dead, you're not done. God is working in you. God has you alive for a reason. The teens have the chutzpah that help us get to where we need to go. But God has a purpose for you. He has meaning for your life. He has direction for you. And walking with God, no matter if it's through the difficulties of what Joseph went through or through what Jeremiah went through, God has a plan that is ultimately good and he sees you, knows you, and is not finished with you yet. Chutzpah. Chutzpah. It's that supreme self-confidence, except maybe for the Christian, it's that supreme confidence 
in God and his, the supreme confidence that God knows what he's doing and he's chosen you. And so, Lord God, we come to you today saying thanks for choosing us. And I don't know the exact assignment you have for each person here, but we trust, God, that you have one and you're working it out. And I pray, God, that if there's anybody running from you today, whether youth or adult, if there's anybody running from you today, that they'd stop and turn back and move toward you rather than away from you. For any who have hard hearts that don't want to turn back, I pray that you'll, you'll call them to softness and that they'll feel you moving. For those who are racked with insecurity, who think you can't use them, what, no matter how old they are, I ask, Lord God, that you would give an identity that's rooted in you and not in others and not in their own selves, but a confidence of character that's rooted in you. Lord God, I pray that you'll help us help the old people value the youth. Help the youth to value the old people. Lord God, move among us. Build us together. Build your church. Lord, we pray for Gen Z. We pray for this emerging generation with hope, with optimism, believing that you are calling them to something big and something new that those of us who are older can hardly even imagine right now. Lord, make them spiritual leaders. Make them like Paul's nephew who do the courageous things, who are willing to stand alone, whose passions are built on truth and not just whim and personal preference. God, build up this generation and raise them up for you and for your kingdom purposes for bigger things than what we could even imagine. In your name we pray, amen.